afraid. Let us, let us rejoice and be thankful. Let's also be thankful that uh, Tim's surgery went well, and uh, hopefully he'll be back to preach next week. <coughs> that is his plan. So what's the biggest problem facing the world today? Would it be socialism, communism, sexism, racism, corrupt politicians, climate change, human trafficking, poverty, food shortages, inequality, indifference, suicide, diseases, pandemics, selfishness? I submit all of those are true. They're definitely problems, or perhaps even more so would be the problem of fear. Because we will have fear of all those above, as well as many other fears. The fear of being unemployed, being rejected, not fitting in, not being in control. Fear of spiders, fear of flying. Fear of the dark, fear of failure. And the list goes on. But what we really need is fear of the Lord. And that seems to be lacking. Fear will cause some people to shrink back, others to conform, fit in, and others to lash out and hide their fear in anger and aggression. Fear can cause some people to hold on tight, and others just simply let go of everything. Fear can paralyze some into doing nothing, while others will charge full steam ahead. An African impala, a type of antelope, which stands about 36 inches tall, can jump a distance of 30 feet and 10 foot high. But yet, it can be contained in a zoo with a mere three foot high enclosure. You see, the antelope will not jump if it does not know where its feet are going to land. Sometimes I wonder if that's what's wrong with us. We're afraid to move forward because we don't know where our feet will land. A.L. Tozier once said that the scared world needs a fearless church. The church has become complacent and timid while trying to fit in and blend with the world rather than transform it. The church needs to boldly stand up and proclaim that Jesus is the answer. The church needs to be a beacon unto a lost and broken world. We need to stand unashamedly for prayer in school and for the life of the unborn. We need to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to believe that our Father in heaven is bigger and stronger than any threat against us. Worldly fear tends to keep us from stepping out and trusting God. It's like we're not sure God can come through with us, so we need a backup plan. You've seen the bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot. That's kind of insidious, really. I want God as a pilot. I'll be the co-pilot. I don't need him to fix what I messed up. I need to follow his direction. But perhaps the biggest problem today is the true fear of the Lord. Not just one of reverence and awe, but for what he is and what he's capable of doing. In 1 John 4, 4, the Apostle John proclaimed that he that is in you is 
greater than he that's in the world. Why then do we hide inside our church walls or our house instead of shining a light into the broken world? 1 John 4.18 There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment, and the one who made fear is not made perfect in love. Philippians 2.15 That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. John 3, 17. For God sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world, but through that the world through him might be saved. Little Tim tells a story about himself as a young lad. When he was small, pretty sized, but he'd watched a lot of the karate kid. And he felt he could take care of himself and he was invisible. And he clearly acknowledged that he spent a lot of time in his imaginary world as he rode his bicycle around the apartment complex looking for bad guys to bring to justice. One day he found one, a boy named Zach, a little beggar, Fancier bike, faster bike. But he didn't seem to like Tim. At first, he'd just throw pine cones at him when Tim would ride by on his bicycle. And then he got to where he would push him off his bicycle in front of his friends to show how tough he was. And Tim, he would <clears throat> dust himself off and vow that it would never happen again. So he would kind of avoid him in the apartment complex. But lo and behold, their paths crossed again. And <clears throat> after being pushed off his bicycle again, he did what any little six-year-old boy would do. I'm going to cry to Mom and tell her what happened. As she bandages up his wounds and tells him, just ignore Zach. In time, he'll get tired of it and leave you alone. So he goes on, rides his bike some more, and Zach pushes him off again. He goes running in the house. <clears throat> and before he has a chance to say anything to his mother, he hears a voice from the back room from his father saying, Let's go. Ah, Tim's excited now. His father was a husky, tall, well-built, former college linebacker. He was going to fix this. Tim's father says, we'll handle this right now. They walked out the door. They go across the parking lot. He asked Tim to point out this boy to him. And as they continued their stride, Tim's father calls out to Zach. And he and his friends turned to where his father, Tim's father was. <clears throat> And as he continued his approach, when Tim's father got to him, he knelt down and looked Zach straight in the eye. 
Tim's been thinking the whole time across the parking lot. Ah, Jack's going to get a whooping this time. <clears throat> He's got somebody he can't bully. But Tim's father reaches behind him, not breaking eye contact with Zach. He grabs little Tim's arm and pulls him forward. And he says, This is my son. And then he looks at Tim and says, Son, if this boy ever touches you or anything of yours again, you have my permission to knock his teeth out. And then he proceeds to turn around and walk back to his apartment. Tim's going, what just happened here? Am I going to get tumbled into the ground now for riding out, Zach? What kind of torture is in store for me now? As he turns back to Zach and his friends, they slowly turn their bicycles and drive away. And they never bother Tim again. And we as Christians need to quit paying attention to the bullies of the world. Don't listen to what they say. Don't listen when they say we can't, because we can. <clears throat> I recall as a youngster, I would frequently have dreams of falling off a cliff. And I would awaken before <clears throat> the sudden stop at the bottom. And one day I said, I've had enough of this. I'm not going to accept the fear you're trying to instill in me. I will not tolerate these dreams anymore. And they quit. We as Christians need to take authority. We've been given that authority. We need to exercise that authority. Growing up, I, <clears throat> I wasn't a popular, well-known person or have a great last name. I was pretty much a nobody as far as anybody was concerned, which I'm okay with that. I'm a child of God. I don't need to be anybody special because all of God's children are special in their own right. In high school, I had <clears throat> decided to run for a associated student body treasurer. Well, one of my classmates, who was extremely popular, well-known, and outgoing, decided he was going to run for it, too. And yes, you guessed correctly, he won and I lost. And while he did get the title of it, I was the one who was performing the bookkeeping functions for the student body records. And one day, <clears throat> I made a mistake. I know it's hard for any of you to believe that I made a mistake. <clears throat> but he picked up on that right away and proceeded to start chiding me in front of everyone that he made a mistake. So in my usual perfunctory self, with which you know me for, I simply responded by saying only this. In order to make a mistake, 
you first have to do something. The room became silent. Everyone there knew the exact meaning of those words. Harvey McKay had a saying that failure isn't final until you say it is. We don't have to be deemed a failure. And you can't fail unless you've at least tried. Babe Ruth once said, <clears throat> never let the fear of striking out keep you from playing the game. We cannot let the fear of failure or any other form of fear stop us from doing the task we've been called to do. Fear is not necessarily bad. It can keep us from being in a dangerous situation. There's a good type of fear, and that's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord can keep us from making bad choices. It's been said that God does not hate sin because he's a killjoy. He hates sin because sin kills joy. A fan of singer Maddie Montgomery told him that he loved his music and how he was unafraid to preach the gospel. <clears throat> and Maddie turned and said to him, Man, I, I got to be honest with you. I don't preach the gospel because I'm afraid of what will happen if I preach the gospel. I preach the way I do because I'm afraid of what will happen if I don't preach the gospel. We all need to have that kind of courage. More than ever, people need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Daily people are being filled with divisive, hateful rhetoric and that they're either an oppressor or an oppressed. But we fail to tell them about the love of Jesus Christ. Because <clears throat> that will be the only true unifying force that we can have. Noah had fear of the Lord. He built an ark and endured years of ridicule. Doing what God told him to do. Abraham had fear of the Lord. When he was about to sacrifice his son, only son on the altar. But he believed that God would provide the sacrifice, and God did. Daniel feared the Lord more than he feared the king when he went against the royal decrees and went to pray to God rather than the king. And for choosing to disobey the decree, he got to go visit the lion's den, and God gave him protection. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego demonstrated their fear of the Lord when they refused to worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had created. And for their refusal, they got to be put in a fiery furnace seven times hotter. And yet, God was with them in that furnace and protected them. They came out without even the smell of smoke. Joseph 
he did not hold ill feelings against his brothers for selling him into slavery or against Potiphar's wife for falsely claiming that Joseph had wanted her. Joseph acknowledged that God was with him even in prison and that what other people had meant for harm, God found a way to make it for good. The country of Nineveh repented after Jonah brought them the message from God. Now Jonah, <clears throat> he had to take the scenic route. He had to go visit the whale first because he didn't want Nineveh to repent. He wanted them destroyed. But he did finally do what God told him to do. The Hebrew midwives feared the God of the Israelites more than they did Pharaoh when he told them to kill the, first, kill the males that were born. And they were blessed with great families. Sodom and Gomorrah, however, did not fear the Lord, and they were destroyed. And Lot and his family escaped. However, Lot's wife was turned to a pillar of salt, which turned back to look at the destruction. If we fail to have appropriate fear of the Lord, we tend to become casual. The United States and many other countries of the world have lost their true fear of the Lord. Are we going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah? Or are we going to develop the true fear of the Lord and know what he's capable of doing? One pastor proclaimed that abortion is a God-given right. I will challenge that pastor to find that scripture for me. And so far, I've never found it. And I don't believe it's there. People are proclaiming they can be whatever sex they want to be and do whatever sex acts they go to do. God gave people over to depraved mind and do what they wanted to do. But he also gave a path back. That was through Jesus Christ. They can be redeemed. Some churches seem to be more concerned about filling the pews than about preaching the gospel. We need to fear the one who holds the keys to Hades and death. And what do we receive when we fear the Lord? We receive protection. Psalms 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he rescues them. We get perspective. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Presence. God's presence will manifest in us and we can become conduits for his glory. People come not because of some grand plan we have, but because they see something in us that they want. While God's presence healed the man at Gate Beautiful, his presence also killed Ananias and Sapphira for their deception. Provision. 
Psalms 34, 9. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. Promotion. In Proverbs 22, 4. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. Pleasure. Psalms 128, 1 and 2. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Power. 1 Corinthians 2, 3 and 4. Paul tells us, I come to you in weakness and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Purity. Exodus 20, 20. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you, so that the fear of God will keep you from sinning. Now Moses should really know about fear probably as much as anyone. He's called out of the desert to go back and from God to go back to Egypt and lead his people out of Egypt into a promised land. He goes back and he performs the miracle so when their staff down turns into a snake the magicians do the same thing. His snake ate theirs, but just the same, if you were in his position, wouldn't you be wondering what's coming up next? And then they turned things into blood, and the magicians did the same. And Pharaoh has increased the workload on the Israelites. Now the Israelites don't like Moses either, and Pharaoh doesn't like Moses. And he's going, what am I doing here? I'm in no man's land. Yet through his fear of the Lord, he persevered. It didn't happen overnight. It wasn't ten plagues in ten days. They stretched out over time. So you know there was a lot of grumbling taking place. You had to hear the fear from your own people. And you had to be fearing God. Jesus wasn't complacent when he turned over the tables in the temple. And it didn't bother him to upset the religious leaders of the day. Should we be any less zealous than Jesus was? There's a song that says, it starts right here, it starts right now. If it doesn't start here, where will it start? Or will it not start at all? We're thankful, Father, that you've done what you've done. We ask for you to give us a boldness and a courage to make your truth known throughout the world. And let it start right here. If anybody has a decision they'd like to make today, come forward as we sing a song of invitation. <laughs>